Well, we're just glad to see you in the house tonight. If you're visiting, we're just especially glad that you're here. We trust that God is uh, going to bless you and touch your life and uh, that uh, you will be encouraged and, uh, and stronger in faith afterwards than what you were before. I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to launch out and get into the Word. Father, we want to thank you once again for what you're doing in our lives, for what you're doing in this church, what you're doing in this city of ours, and in this nation of ours. And we thank you, Lord God, that we are a part of what you're doing in these last days. Lord Jesus, you said that you're building the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the things that are shared tonight, we thank you, Lord God, that there is a building going on. Lord, that you're building into our lives a strong faith. You're building into our lives a hope that indeed your word is true and is coming to pass. You're building into our lives, Lord God, a greater anointing, Lord, that we are more effective as the body of Christ in these last days, more effective as, as the church in our city, as we are reaching out and touching people's lives and Lord uh, as we are uh, uh, reaching out and bringing people to Christ and so we thank you Lord God that you're here to impress truth upon our hearts let wisdom knowledge and understanding uh, be imparted into us in Jesus name amen well we are speaking about visions and dreams and revelations um, this morning I didn't get through everything that uh, I wanted to say, and so we're going to carry on where we left off this morning and talk about a few other things and, and so forth. Um, the title of these messages is Turning Visions and Dreams into Reality. And uh, one of the scriptures that we have been living on for some time now is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, where the Bible says, it says I will make mention of you my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know. And I pointed out this morning uh, that when we know, we're empowered to do something. Uh, when we know, we're not floundering, we're not, we're not floating, we're, we, we've got direction because we know. And God wants to give, uh, enlighten and illuminate the eyes of our understanding to give us wisdom and to give us revelation and to give us illumination so we understand and we know what to do. We said that visions, dreams and revelations are part of the Holy Spirit's operation in our lives, that God illuminates or enlightens the eyes of our understanding to reveal to us His will and His purpose. Uh, he does so to give us wisdom, insight and foresight uh, regarding situations and circumstances and, and issues uh, and so forth. He gives us answers and solutions to challenges we face and God prepares us for a better future. Um, God also warns us about future events, tells us how to prepare for certain things and how to avoid and avert disaster and so forth. And it's all part and parcel of what we are talking about. And I'm still recapping before we start to cover new ground. Uh, I talked about a quote from uh, 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 David Younger Joel. He said that the language of the Holy Spirit is visions and dreams. And suddenly, uh, God communicating with us takes on a, a new meaning. But suddenly we realize that God gives us pictures and shows us things in our mind, in our imagination. Suddenly we, we realize that God's actually speaking to us, but we hear no words. God can certainly speak to us in words. Uh, uh, and, and I don't want to get too limited in terms of visions and dreams. Uh, and, and, and so forth, but, but so long as we understand that the language of the Holy Spirit is visions and dreams, and that God shows us things uh, in the eyes of our understanding. Verse 18 there speaks about the eyes of our understanding, or the eyes of our heart, 
or the eyes of our, uh, of our imagination being enlightened or illuminated. We said that the word understanding there comes from the Greek word dianoia, which speaks about the imagination. Everybody's got one. Uh, tragically, uh, many people use their imagination for the wrong things, not for the right thing. Um, and we said that the imagination is the screen of our heart. It is the place, it is the part on the inside of us where we see, where we imagine, where we visualize things. Where even right now as I'm speaking, you're hearing those words, it registers on the inside of you, and you see things as I'm speaking. Um, and uh, we said that the imagination has got three basic functions. Firstly, uh, it records. Uh, there's a, a memory capacity where things are uh, registering on our imagination and then they are recorded uh, in our memory capacity. And secondly, we said that it has the capacity to replay things that we've heard or seen yesterday or last year or 20 years ago. We can replay that just like the video player that you might have at home when you record a program. Uh, you wind it back again and you hit play and you are replaying what has been recorded previously. But there's a third facility in our imagination that is very, very important in the purposes of God. Very important uh, for us to move into the purposes of God and to receive the promises uh, and to see them come to passes. And that's the aspect of pre-play, where we can where we can see things ahead of time. When we read the Word of God or we hear the Word of God proclaimed about certain things that God has prepared for us, made available to us, that registers on the inside of us, uh, on the screen of our imagination. We can go away from there and we, we can meditate on that and we can see it on the inside of us, though it hasn't happened yet in terms of it having manifested, but we can see it on the inside of us. And we said that uh, that is one of the first uh, uh, things that happens before we move into those things that God has prepared for us, that we see them on the inside of us. And I said that we should spend less time on replay and more time on preplay. All right, so in other words, less time rehashing the old, less time rehashing negative stuff, uh, rehashing hurts, offenses, uh, disappointing experiences, uh, not spending so much time rehashing those, in fact, making a decision to not travel there anymore in our minds, but rather pre-playing, pre-playing good things. And of course, we need to remember one of the basic premises that we're moving from is that God has a good future for us. God doesn't have a bad future. He's got a good future for us. God says in Jeremiah, he says, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, that they are thoughts for peace, to give you hope, and to give you a future, or to give you a better future. And so that's God's heart. Now, uh, I would like to move on from there and uh, uh, read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. I was just reading through the uh, Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 13, uh, or chapter, chapter 11, I s should say, which is what we call the, uh, the faith chapter. It's the hall of faith where the heroes of faith are listed down and, and what they stood for and, and so forth. And I got greatly inspired by that. And so it says here in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were assured of them, embracing them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now this passage here speaks about Abraham and his immediate descendants called Isaac and Jacob. 
uh, and it talks there about the fact that uh, God had made many, many promises uh, to Abraham, but not only to Abraham himself, but to Abraham and his descendants. Um, and uh, many promises that, uh, that by the time these guys died, these promises hadn't come to pass. And the reason for it was that God wasn't holding out on them. And this was not a promise like healing, which can be received today. This wasn't a promise like that can like be, just be received. You don't have to wait for things. Uh, these were what we might call generational promises, where uh, after certain generations, certain things were going to come to pass. Uh, but what caught my eye there was that... Uh, God had made many promises to these guys, uh, to Abraham first off, and then he renewed it to Isaac, and then he also renewed it to Jacob. Uh, and many of these promises did not come to pass in their lifetime, but they saw them afar off. In other words, when they heard these promises, they visualized their kids and their grandchildren and their grandchildren stepping into things that God had promised to them. Uh, and so in other words, they saw them afar off. And just because it didn't relate to them, they didn't just say, oh, well, what's the point? It's like, uh, you know, sometimes uh, <laughs> today's generation can be very, very now-focused and can be very, very today-focused and very, very self-focused, not thinking about the next generation. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, uh, we need to remember that uh, the way that we stand our ground in faith will help the next generation to go further than where we have gone as, as a generation. And, of course, there's typically two or three generations alive at any given time uh, and so forth. And we talk about generational blessings and we talk about passing on the baton, uh, a baton to the next generation, and they, they can run and so forth. And the idea is that each generation stands on the shoulders of the previous generation, that much of the ground that we are plowing today and seeds that we sow today may not necessarily benefit us directly, but it will benefit the next generation. Can anybody understand what I'm talking about? And so uh, that was the sort of a deal there that God had promised these guys things that were not going to come to pass in their lives. Well, for a start, God said that Abraham was going to become a great nation. Well, Abraham uh, saw the birth of his, uh, of his son Isaac uh, and, and, and so forth, but then he moved on. Uh, God promised him innumerable descendants, but he didn't promise that Abraham was going to be alive during all of that time. So Abraham died, but he saw these things afar off. All right. Also, God promised him a great name. Uh, <clears throat> Abraham didn't particularly have a great name during his lifetime. But today we speak of him. Abraham is spoken of right around the world, in churches and in synagogues and in places where anybody has any appreciation uh, of what God had promised him. All right. Uh, also, God had promised him that he was going to possess and occupy Canaan as the promised land. Well, Abraham himself was actually just a pilgrim and a stranger in the land that he, what the Bible calls sojourns. In other words, he was a nomad. He traveled around, uh, had no fixed abode for himself. Um, and, uh, and, and so in other words, he didn't see that come to pass. I mean, God had given him the land, but it was really for his, his descendants to step into it at a later stage, and God was going to lead them in there, and of course it was called the promised land. Also another promise that God had given to them was that all the families of the earth being blessed 
through them. Abraham never saw that come to pass. Isaac never saw that come to pass. Jacob never saw it come to pass. All right. In fact, that was going to happen then through the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of Abraham, um, as far as uh, uh, you know the lineage is concerned. And but but the point that uh, I would like to stress here is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saw these things afar off. Where did they see them? They saw it on the screen of their imagination. These guys were visual people. They saw things ahead of time. And the Bible says that they had embraced these promises. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's like sometimes people say, oh, you know, they talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. They've talked about it for a long time, and I don't think I'll see it in my lifetime. It doesn't matter whether we see it in our lifetime. We speak of it a lot so that we can prepare for it, and the next generation can prepare for it. All right, so we see it. We see it afar off. In fact, we don't know how, how far off it is, but we know it's going to happen. These guys embrace the promises. They were assured of them. Uh, they were convinced that God had spoken the truth and that it was going to come to pass. All right? And also they confessed, the Bible says, which is really, really quite awesome. Um, and so, so let me move on then to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. Uh, it speaks there about Isaac. It says that by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Let me just stop right there and, and just say that... Uh, I know of no ethnicity on the face of the earth like the Jewish people who are totally generational. Uh, I mean, they just pass on. Uh, like you see the Orthodox Jews today, uh, the way that they're dressed, they're still dressed the same as what the, the guys were thousands of years ago. They're just, they just pass things on from generation to generation. And each time when uh, one of these uh, guys got older before they died, they blessed the next generation and prayed over them. You might say, well, what did they pray over them? They prayed the promises of God over them. They said, you guys are going to be a great nation. God's going to bless you. And because all of these things that God had spoken to them, they prophesied over their children, uh, adult children by now, before they moved on and, and, and so forth. And there's something very, very powerful about that. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. Uh, by faith, Joseph... In fact, let, let me talk about Jacob. Of course, Jacob ended up in Egypt. Uh, Joseph, his son, had gone before. Uh, he'd become prime minister uh, after he'd gone through a series of situations and circumstances, and there was a famine in the land and so forth. And so uh, uh, <clears throat> because they had uh, uh, prepared for that famine, Jacob went down with his family, some 72 people, uh, and when Jacob grew old, and by now the, the, they had multiplied into several hundreds, uh, possibly several thousands of people, and uh, Jacob is uh, dying and he's leaning, or it says he's leaning on the top of his staff, and he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and what does he bless them with? With the promises of God. He says, God says this, so you're going to be that. You're going to be a great nation, and, uh, and this is going to happen to you, and that's going to happen to you. And there's something about that. It's very, very powerful. It says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel, and he gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, 
Joseph, uh, we know the story. Joseph went down to Egypt uh, uh, involuntary. His brothers had sold him into slavery. And as I said before, through a series of circumstances and situations, he rose to the position of prime minister. Not only that, but God had given him incredible wisdom that during seven years of plenty, he had prepared for the following seven years of famine. And so there was food in the land. Uh, there was no food up in Canaan. And that's what brought Jacob down uh, and so forth. And Jacob by now is an older man. He's got two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, who Jacob had uh, uh, claimed for, as, as his own sons. Uh, and that's why he prayed over them. And then it says here, when, when Joseph was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. Well, what was he talking about? He was talking about the promise that God made to Abraham his grandfather, when God appeared to him and made a covenant with him, and God says to Abraham, he says, your descendants are going to be in Egypt. They're going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. But God says, I will surely visit them, and they will come out, and they will come out being blessed, and, and, and so forth. And when Joseph is praying here, <clears throat> he made mention of that particular promise. And he says, hey, you guys, he says, you're going to depart out of here, uh, and he says that he gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, that's an interesting thing that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, when I move on, whenever that will be, I don't care what they do with my bones, but this guy was really concerned about it. <laughs> and, and I guess he didn't want his bones to be buried down in Egypt. He wanted his bones to be buried in the promised land, the land that God had given to them. So he says, hey, guys, he says, I don't know when it's going to happen uh, in terms of, of your departure as, an, as a nation, as a people out of this place. But he says, I'm dying right now, and you guys will depart. And remember, when you depart, don't leave my bones here. He says, take my bones with you. Uh, and funny enough, when you read in Exodus chapter, first few chapters there, you will find that when Moses uh, led the people out, that they grabbed Joseph's bones, uh, <laughs> as in he was embalmed and so forth, and actually took him up there to the promised land and buried him up there. So something very, very powerful about that. But again, the point that I'm trying to make is this, that whilst that promise of departure did not happen in Joseph's time, he saw it afar off. He had already visualized it. He had already seen it, and he had already embraced that promise, and he was confessing it. And friend, there's something about confessing the promises of God over and over and over, that each time we confess the promise, it registers on the screen of our imagination, and it, and, and it ministers new faith to us, and our faith level grows, and, uh, and it causes us to, remain, to get into faith and to remain in faith, that even though the circumstances are totally against everything that God had promised, but we stay in faith. And in fact, as far as the children of Israel was concerned, things didn't turn out too good in the immediate future because when Joseph had died, the Bible says that a new Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph and he ended up enslaving these people and so forth. But you know what? Some of them knew how to hold on to the promise of God. And they kept on going back to and say, what was that that God had said to Abraham? What was that God had said to Isaac? And what was that that God had said to Jacob? And they embraced these promises and they held on to them. And though in the natural, it looked everything but them leaving the nation, but they held on to it and they confessed it. And when time came, they moved out. Uh, and that's really, really very powerful. So friends, sometimes let me suggest to you that uh, when God speaks to you and God shows you things, God shows you a better day uh, ahead of time, and then tomorrow is worse than what it is today in terms of stuff 
you know, happening and flying loose and everything else, just don't lose sight of the promise of God. That when God has promised, God wants us to hold on to that picture. God wants us to embrace that, uh, that promise. He wants us to be assured of the promise. He wants us to declare it, and He wants us to see the fire off. And that is part of, as I said this morning, part of the operation of faith to move us closer into that particular uh, blessing and to move the blessing or to move the, 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 the promises closer to, to bring Him into manifestation in our lives. These guys were amazing. And you know, sometimes there's something about reading through the uh, chapter of faith, or what we call the hall of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11. It speaks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It speaks about Noah. It speaks about Sarah. And it speaks about these guys, and we call them the heroes of faith. And can I suggest to you that they didn't have smooth traveling in all of their situations. They had ups and downs and so forth, but they held on to the promises. They didn't let go of things. Uh, and when they did, they came back to them later on because God wouldn't let them go. When God promised a son to Abraham, uh, it took Abraham a while to grasp this thing and to really lay a hold of it. But when he did, it was only a matter of time before that son manifested. So again, Joseph had the eyes of his understanding illuminated by the promises of God. He was totally convinced that God was going to visit his people and lead him out of Egypt into the promised land. He too had seen the promises of God afar off having spent time visualizing their fulfillment. And there's something about visualizing the promises of God. It's part of the process of meditation. In fact, let me talk to you a little bit about meditation. I'm reading here from Genesis 26, verse 1. <clears throat> speaks about Isaac there. It says that there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I give all of these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. What's God doing? God's moving on the screen of Isaac's imagination. And he says, Isaac, he says, I know that there's a famine right now. God says, I know about that. Uh, and typically, if there was a famine in those days, they would rush off down to Egypt. Um, and, uh, and, but God says, no, no, no. He says, don't go to Egypt. He says, that's what natural men do. He says, you're a man of God. He says, you're a man of faith. You stay in the land. All right? He says, you stay right here. And he says, regardless of famine, he says, I'm going to bless you. He says, regardless of famine, he says, I'm going to prosper you. Regardless of the famine, he says, you will eat. And not only will you eat, but he says, you will eat well. And so, have you know that God, uh, God is not limited by the economy around us? Uh, you know, famines come and go. But the people of God know how to live in the middle of a famine and still do well. You know, recessions come and go. Uh, and the people of God still know how to prosper. Uh, so long as we're in faith and we're not allowing the negativity of the world to get on us and to get in us and to cause us to uh, echo some of their negativity of what people are saying, uh, then we can prosper in the middle of a recession. All right? And, and can I just throw something in here? There's no charge for this. But can I suggest to you that Australia is not the promised land? 
Uh, you know, sometimes people think they need to rush off to Australia, you know, to the land of promise. New Zealand is the land of promise. All right? Now, if God's called you to Australia, you go and, uh, and let us give you a push. If God's told you to go, then off you go. Praise God and do well when you get there. But if God hasn't told you to go, don't just think that you need to rush off somewhere and, 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 and so forth and think that things are going to be better there than what they're here. You know, it's been discovered that people who don't make it here, they don't make it there either. <laughs> and if you make it here, and by all means, if, as I said, if God told you to go, or if people need to have an overseas experience, I'm not at all against that. Uh, it's a good thing. But, you know, sometimes there's almost like, you know, there's this mass exodus of Kiwis rushing off to Australia. And uh, we hear about the thousands that are going every week. You know, we don't hardly ever hear about them uh, that are coming back and say, oh, we tried it and it didn't work out for us, you know. And we know what I'm talking about. So recession or not, the people of God can prosper. We can prosper in this nation. New Zealand is the promised land for us, praise God. And, uh, and we can prosper in this nation. Friend, don't let anybody tell you that this is not a prosperous nation. New Zealand is a very prosperous nation. This is just a great place. And so let's be grateful for the fact that God has brought us into this country and uh, that we can prosper in this place. <laughs> Let me move on to chapter 26, um, in verse 12 and verse 14. Same chapter, but uh, 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 further verses down. It says, Isaac sold in that land. Which land is that? In the land of Canaan. Even though he had it in his heart to go down to Egypt, God says, don't go down there. God says, I will bless you here. So Isaac sold in that land, and he reaped in the same year. Which year? In the year of famine. He reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him, and the man began to prosper and continue prospering until he became very prosperous. Uh, there's something about this that I like. <laughs> Each time I read it, I think this is just really cool. He prospered, or he began to prosper. He continued prospering until he became very prosperous. I tell you, that, that's got a really good ring to me. I just like that. Um, and it says that he had possessions of flocks and herds, uh, and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Why did the Philistines envy him? Because the famine really hurt them, but it didn't hurt Isaac. Things really went down for them. But the man of God, the man who was in faith, who obeyed God, he really prospered. And so the Philistines envied him. And uh, can I suggest again that uh, as far as Jewish people are concerned generally, Jewish people have no problem with prosperity. It's only Christian people, or should I say religious Christian people, that have a problem with prosperity. Uh, friend, prosperity is not a swear word. It's a good thing. All right, prosperity is of God. It's not of the devil. All right, the devil is not the provider. God is the provider. The devil is the thief. He's come to steal, steal, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And so God has promised uh, <clears throat> prosperity to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to all of these guys. And so they have no problem with prosperity. I don't know why it is that in the Christian world sometimes there's all of this preaching against prosperity. And, uh, and you know, we understand, of course, like it says here that, that Isaac had possessions. It didn't say that the possessions possessed him, but he possessed the possessions. And of course, there's no problem with having money, but there is a problem when money possesses us and, then, and, and when money sort of lords it over us. But so long as we use money as a servant, it's a good thing, all right? 
And so, uh, but let me skip down here to uh, Genesis 24, verse 36. And there's one verse that I would like to pick up on there. It says that Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. Uh, because somehow, <clears throat> somehow, there must be a, 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 a cause for Isaac prospering in the way that he did. Well, for a start, he had, uh, he had been born into a reasonably prosperous family. Um, uh, Abraham was very prosperous, um, and prosperity wasn't spoken against. All right. Sometimes it seems like, uh, you know, in, in some places, if people prosper, they almost need to move out because they get condemned. Prosperity is a good thing. All right. And so Isaac uh, was born into a prosperous uh, family. And so therefore, it was just natural for him to start prospering himself. He had heard and repeated and embraced the promises of God uh, for his life and so forth. But you know, it says here that Isaac went out to meditate in the field. It says it, it does not say he meditated in his bedroom, even though it's good to meditate in the bedroom. But it says that he meditated in the field. Now, we're not told the specifics of uh, what Isaac meditated on. But can I suggest to you that probably Isaac was meditating on prosperity. He was meditating that his fields were producing, that crop was going to come up uh, double, triple uh, than what was coming up in the neighbor's fields, in the heathen's fields. Uh, that he was prospering, I should have said that he was, he was meditating on the promises of God that he had made to his father Abraham and to his descendants that they were going to be blessed. Uh, to be a blessing. And you know, uh, it's been said before, but if you're not blessed to yourself, you can't be a blessing to anybody else. Uh, if you're not blessed financially, you can't help anybody else uh, to, to, to financially. And there's something about that that the devil has managed to hoodwink large sectors of the body of Christ and dupe them into a, into a poverty gospel. But there's no such thing as a, a poverty gospel. You read the Bible from cover to cover and it's not in there. But we see a prosperity gospel. That God is the God of prosperity. All right? And so here is Isaac in the field and he is meditating. What's he meditated on? Meditating on? Well, as we said, we, we don't have specifics. But I would not at all be surprised if he hadn't been out there and just meditating on Thank you, Lord God, that, Lord, you're prospering my crops, that my herds are, uh, are just in offspring and that uh, there's not going to be any, any dead sheep, any dead lambs, or any, any dead uh, camels, or nothing dead, that everything is alive, everything is prospering, everything is multiplying. And thank you, Lord God, that the promise of God is true, and he saw things afar off. And two chapters later, we see that he's, he is, uh, he is, uh, he's sowing in a land of, in, in, at a time of famine, and he's prospering. Where's all of this prosperity coming from? It's coming from the inside of him. He had seen it afar off. He had embraced it. And he was confessing it. And now the placing of God is flowing in and through him. Friends, can I say it again? That many things that God wants us to bring, it, bring us into in terms of levels of prosperity and positions of influence and, and effectiveness and so forth. Many, many, many of these things we see on the inside first before we see them on the outside. And if we're struggling to see them on the inside, we will be struggling to see them on the outside. There's just something about that that we need to grasp and lay a hold of. 
So let's wrap up and quickly run through our list of uh, uh, things to do. So what do I do once I've had a vision, a dream, a revelation? How do I move this thing from just the, the visual aspect of my imagination to seeing it come to pass in my life, to have it manifest in my life? Well, the first aspect there is repetition. There's something about nurturing and developing our dream by pre-playing it often. Just going over it again. And, and what was that that God had said? And oh, thank you, Lord God, that you've shown me this and you've shown me that. And Lord, you've given me revelation in regards to my future that I'm going to be moving into this and moving into that and pre-playing it often so that it can take on... Uh, so that it develops into a firm picture. Sometimes when we see things first off, we see things hazy. We, we were not totally clear. Uh, but as we revisit that area and we spend time seeking clarity and the Spirit of God helping us. Uh, you know, meditation is not to be done separate and apart from the Spirit of God, but together with the Spirit of God. And as we are visualizing, and if you, you're not, you don't see something very clearly, you can say, Holy Spirit, show me, give me more clarity here. Help me to see it more clearly. Uh, and Holy Spirit will. It's one of the operations uh, of, of, uh, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So repetition by pre-playing it often. Then number two, write the vision and make it plain. Habakkuk says, write the vision and make it plain. Is it chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 14 or, or thereabouts in the book of um, Habakkuk? It says, write the vision and make it plain that he uh, may run who reads it. And as we write things down, sometimes... Uh, we only get uh, glimpses of certain things. You know, like some, for example, some of the messages that I've preached uh, in days gone by, uh, they started out with just one thought, sometimes one visual picture or something, and I write it down. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, um, different things that you're seeing in, in our surroundings here in terms of our physical facility here, uh, different things that we're seeing right now were just a thought, but they were written down and then they were developed. And then we did some research and we talked about things and so forth. And there's something about writing it down and committing it to paper that will move things a step closer to seeing them manifest in your life. Um, and in fact, I'm finding <clears throat> that... Uh, that uh, if I don't write things down, I forget things. And that's not necessarily a bad memory issue. But, but when God shows you something in the Spirit, God gives you a glimpse of something. What God's trying to do is to catch your attention. And, uh, and how many of you have had, a, like we're talking about visions and dreams and revelations, how many of you have had a dream or sort of a half dream where you're sort of lying down, you're half asleep, you're half awake, and suddenly you get this picture, you see something and think, wow, you know, this is awesome, or, or you get really excited about it, and they think, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit that in the morning. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down in the morning, and then you go to sleep, and you wake up in the morning and think, what was that God had shown me last night? See, God's trying to get our attention. It's always good to have pen and paper ready for the people of God because God speaks all the time. God's trying to get our attention. God wants us to get it down so at the next visitation, when Holy Spirit visits us at the next visitation, God can bring more clarity and put more touches on that, uh, on that screen of our imagination. You know, painters don't just do a, do a slap and have a, a painting finished. You know, a photograph, when you take a photograph, it's finished in one hit. But painters start with one stroke, 
or start with a concept, you know, put a couple of lines down and, and then they build around that and gradually the picture begins to form. And much of what God is showing us doesn't come like a photograph, but it comes like a blank screen with just a couple of brush strokes on it where God's just giving us a picture, a concept here, just an idea or something. And, and then at future visitations, he gives us more detail and more insight uh, and, and so forth. And so it's a good thing to write things down. Then thirdly, corresponding action. If you have a vision of becoming the world's best piano player, start by getting some lessons. All right, just doing some natural things. Sometimes people are actually not uh, visualizing, they're fantasizing. And what we are talking about is not fantasizing, not fantasizing some weird, weird and wonderful stuff. We are talking about dreaming things that can actually come to pass. And once God shows us something, uh, we should do things in the natural that we can do to prepare ourselves for that which God wants us to do. And so if somebody has got a vision of going into politics, well, friend, you've got to go to university these days to, to cut it in, in the political environment. You've got to have a, a degree or two. You've got to have something under your belt to be able to cope and to operate in this environment, just as one example. So doing things naturally in order to move into uh, some of these areas. If you have a dream of having a, your first car, get your driver's license. Now, let's have confession time here right now. And let's ask for a show of hands. How many of you are driving cars regularly and you don't have your driver's license? We're going to pray for you. We're going to cast the devil out of you in a minute. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, a number of years ago, some of you might remember, a number of years ago in our church, we talked about these things. And it was amazing, the number of people driving cars not having driver's license. It's illegal, guys. All right, so get your driver's license. Praise God. A friend of mine, acquaintance of mine years ago, um, God spoke to him, and, and, uh, and, um, <clears throat> or, or he spoke to God about having a car. Now, uh, this man is sort of 80% uh, blind. Uh, and he, he says, Lord, I want a car because I've got things to do, and I need to get around and, and so forth, and I want, I want a car. And so he's praying to God about this car, and, uh, and God says to him, and by the way, just to give you some background information, this man lived in a block of uh, apartments, and uh, his apartment did not have a, uh, a, uh, a car park, uh, a garage with it. So God says to him, why don't you get yourself a garage? And he says, God, what do I need a garage for? I haven't got a car. Well, God says, you want a car. Why don't you get yourself a garage? And so he got himself a garage. He booked, uh, he booked himself this garage, and I don't know, I leased it for, 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 for a bit. And uh, that was all in anticipation of getting a car. Now, <laughs> can I suggest to you that uh, that would severely stretch our faith, wouldn't it? Uh, if God said, you know, if you haven't got a car, this man is 80% blind, uh, and God says to him, get a garage. But you know what he did? And you know what the car did turn up? He saw it afar off. He saw glimpses of it. And when God challenged him in different areas, his faith came up to a new level. Uh, and finally, he got there. And so, uh, get whatever you need to get to get your car, all right? Don't let a week go by without producing some action towards your dream. Uh, dreams of doing th great things. Uh, it's making preparation, preparing yourself, uh, getting ready. Number four, ask God for wisdom and direction. 
Uh, so it's saying something like, Lord, what's the next step towards the fulfillment of my dream? Sometimes people have a vision. They know they got a God vision. They carry a God vision. They don't know what to do with it. So, so Lord, what do you want me to do next? How can, I, how can I move closer this week towards the fulfillment of my vision? Rather than just, you know, faith is not passive. Sometimes people just wait. And, uh, and you know, there's something about uh, waiting uh, passively that moves us out of faith. We need to just do something, get, do something. And even if it's just confessing the word and, and praising God towards the fulfillment of our, of our vision, but it's good to do something that will move us towards that. And number five, submit your vision to godly leaders if it involves major changes in your life. All right, so uh, if there's a, a vision that you feel that God's stirring in your heart, a dream about something that really will involve major steps, um, it is good to submit things to godly people, to leaders in the body of Christ, leaders in the church that uh, have got spiritual discernment, uh, that can work out if this is really a God vision or if this is just some wild fantasy that, uh, that you know, somebody's got a hold of. And Frank, can I suggest that a godly vision will stand up to scrutiny? All right. Uh, some people uh, might not be able to grasp it and, 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 and know what to do with, but if you speak to godly people, people with discernment, they will recognize and say, yes, this is of God and so forth, and they can help you with the timing of it and so forth because sometimes people have the right vision, but they get the timing wrong and, uh, and things get messed up and then they doubt everything. Oh, did God really speak to me? No, God's spoken to them, uh, uh, but sometimes the timing is all wrong and all muddled up. Also, the Bible says that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. So as I say, if some, some vision, some dream involves sort of a major change, a ma major upheaval and involves families. Sometimes, you know, you see people, you see men yanking their families around from place to place and from church to church and from deal to deal and sometimes from country to country. And sort of if you try to look for God in the middle of it all, and I know there was one man that shot through and he went off to, uh, to Europe a while ago and somehow church that I was a part of back then, I, I knew that, uh, that the pastor had no witness uh, in his heart at all towards this deal. But anyway, the, the man went anyway and things didn't work out very well. And so if something involves a major upheaval or major changes, submit that to somebody, God, and say, look, this is what's stirring in my heart. Uh, do you have a witness that this is from God? And, and just lay it all out there and, and so forth. And, uh, and we feel that that's just a safe thing to do. Is everybody all right tonight? Praise God. We see things afar off. We see them on the screen of the imagination. Each time we hear the word of God proclaimed, each time we read the promises of God, we read the scriptures, we see things, and that's a good thing. Father, we want to thank you again tonight, Lord, for the promises that you've given to us. In fact, Lord, we thank you for the whole of the word of God, that it brings illumination to us. It gives us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And we thank you, Father, that by your spirit, you're speaking to us in regards to direction. You're speaking to us in regards to our own personal individual lives and our callings and our, our destiny, uh, the graces, the anointings that you've placed upon our lives. We thank you, Father God, that indeed we are going to new levels. Uh, Lord God, and doors are open. We thank you, Father God, we're moving into new levels of prosperity. Lord God, the the world is a morning of recession. Uh, Lord, we are, we are shouting of uh, prosperity days. We thank you, Father God, that the future is glorious. We refuse to participate in the recession. We thank you, Lord God, that good things are happening. 
uh, and Lord God, that we choose to be prophets uh, of, of our own lives rather than allowing the world to prophesy negativity over us. Thank you, Father God, for my brothers and sisters here today, every man, every woman, and every child. And Lord, we declare and we pronounce a blessing over the life of every person, every family represented here today, every business, every particular situation, that things will go well, that, you, Lord, you will cause your face to shine upon us all the days of our lives and that we move from uh, one level of prosperity to the next level of prosperity. That health is our portion always. And we thank you, Father, for peace in our homes and blessings all around. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You have yourself a nice evening, what's left of it, and have a good week.